Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey everyone, it's your friendly neighborhood uh, ER doc, also known as the MacGyver of the group. And this is Praz the Sandman, flowing through your veins with happy juice and knowledge. You know, Ward, you seem a lot more chipper this time. This time, what put you in such a good mood? I'm actually sipping some tea. Um, I recently went on a trip to uh, South Carolina. So is this like those Snickers commercials? You're not you when you're hungry. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, uh, That Roseanne (laughs) Barr character is gone. Today, we actually have an interesting topic. One that is a little more heavy on the history, but a lot more pertinent to actually you, Ward, as our ER MacGyver. But, gentlemen, do you know that the FDA, at least in its very early days, had a group of young men known as the Poison Squad? Whoa, it sounds like they can make a movie out of that. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking of Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. That's right. Look it up. That won an Academy Award? Or you're being sarcastic? No, uh, it absolutely won an Academy Award. It won for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. I think if we made a movie about the Poison Squad, we'll get even more impressive awards. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Poison Squad and the FDA and what it is they actually do. Because we reference them in a lot of our episodes as somebody who approves drugs and makes sure that things are safe for human consumption. But, you know, what does that mean on the extreme end? Is it really just a whole bunch of guys sitting around a lab bench with Bunsen burners and Erlenmeyer flasks? No, it's gentlemen on the edge. But it all starts with a gentleman known as Dr. Harvey Wiley. He was basically the Bernie Sanders of his day. He was a Civil War veteran. He was a graduate of Indiana Medical College and one of the first professors hired at Purdue University. And then while he was there, 
he was trying to protect consumers on a one-man crusade from food additives with corporate interests and even his own academy trying to sabotage him at every turn. All while he was working tirelessly for people. And he was also picked on by Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Early on at Purdue, he widely experimented with food additives. And, you know, he would test each chemical by effectively trying it on the dog. Eventually got him promoted to chief chemist of the Bureau of Chemistry at Purdue. And the whole reason that he was so concerned about this is in the 1800s, Everything could kill you. I know I romanticize the Victorian era a lot because we do get to pull a lot of fun history from there. But it was dangerous even to go out and eat local food. Bread was often had a lot of chalk mixed in with the flour to make it cheaper. So people were out eating chalk-filled bread. Um, Bitter beer or IPAs were made bitter partially not from hops but from strychnine. And even... Wiley first noticed under the microscope on what sort of really set him off on this crusade was he caught honey companies passing glucose off as pure honey. Ward, I'm just going to call upon your knowledge of toxicology briefly before we even get into this. And would you say that making an IPA beer with strychnine is a good or bad idea? Yeah, strychnine is bad. I mean, I'm just, uh, strychnine is... I just can't even think of any any reason, like reasonable reason, to put strychnine in in beer. Because you know how sometimes chemicals can, in certain doses, can be toxic, where in smaller doses or in certain doses, can be used as therapeutic medicine or therapeutic uh, or as um, food additives. Uh, but strychnine in any amount, I just can't think of any reason to use that as an ingredient that, that that's not bad for you. We use that as a pesticide. We we poison rats and raccoons with them, or we used to. It causes horrible convulsions and toxic doses. So, And a toxic dose is not very high. It's about 30 grains, which is how poisons were measured back in the day. That's roughly two grams. That's a poison through and through. Just <laughs> That is one hell of bitter beer face. And this is beer that was just being sold throughout the empire. And the whole idea is that food safety back in the day was under the purview of the state government, state and local governments. The problem with that is not every state had the same standards. And as we went through the Industrial Revolution, more and more products were being made in factories. Factories were using new untested chemicals as preservatives, and there was no safe labeling laws. Nothing was saying GMO, factory made, yada, yada, yada. So Wiley said, you know, I wonder if all these new preservatives were actually safe for humans after all. So some of the ones he wanted to investigate included borax, formaldehyde, strychnine, copper sulfate, salicylic acid, uh, all of which I'm sure you recognize nope, from our nope, food labels nope. today, right, guy? No, mm-hmm. no, oh, no, not, not nice even a little? Um, I had a nice strychnine beer the other day, didn't you? <laughs> I, had a, I, I probably had a relative who was embalmed in formaldehyde. So yeah, these are all things that I think most of you recognize as, if not directly poison, certainly not things that you want to be consuming on a regular basis. So really to prove his theory, young Bernie, I mean Wiley, designed what he called the table trials. And he went to Congress and he argued to you know have these things investigated. And he got $5,000 to fund them. And this is $5,000 in, you know, mid-1800s money. So he put together a squad to test the safety of these 
additives, and members came either directly from his his grad students or just Georgetown Medical College students. How did they convince them? Praz, you want to tell us a little bit about this? So, basically, he conv- first thing he did was to um, convince them the way that you would lure any college or any student, um, for that matter, the promise of um, giving free things, like not having to pay for room and board and having extra stipend money. I would sign up for that now as a physician. <laughs> I'd, I'd consider it. But he also didn't want to falsely advertise. He wanted to make sure that the people knew what they were signing up for and understood that um, there were real risks to their health by enrolling in these type of experiments. And so he wrote a very nice recruitment poem that I have over here. In my best poetry voice, we sit at a table... Delightfully spread and teeming with good things to eat. And daintily finger the cream-tinted bread just needed to make it complete. A film of the butter, so yellow and sweet, well suited to make every minute. A dread of delight, and yet while we eat, we cannot help asking what's in it. Oh, maybe this bread contains alum and chalk, or sawdust chopped up very fine. Or gypsum and powder about which they talk. Terra Alba just out of the mine. And our faith in the butter is apt to be weak, for we haven't a good place to pin it. Anato so yellow and beef fat so sleek. Oh, I wish I could know what is in it. That is a hell of a Craigslist ad, and thank you, Masterpiece Theater Sandman. Oh it's an honored tradition of experimenting on, on uh, medical students and college students, yeah, right? No, this is not uncommon, even today. Yeah, um, <laughs> there was a study on orthostatic hypotension that, uh, as a med student, I learned that uh, we used to drain med students' blood <laughs> by, <laughs> to figure out if their heart rates and blood pressure changed as they stood up. And this was a, uh, this was a study done not that long ago, certainly with, you know, within this century, well, maybe the previous century, where they just draw, they drew different amounts of blood from med students and see what happened. <laughs> just, and, just for the heck of it? <laughs> just to understand how much blood loss would cause an increase in heart rate and a decrease in blood pressure. And it turns out You know, that's still done today, Ward, except now they just set us loose on each other and say, practice drawing blood on your classmates. Oh, that's right. (laughs) We did do that, didn't we? (laughs) You're right. This is not an unreasonable complaint. You know, he lists some of the biggest problems of the day. We already talked about strychnine in the beer and bread made instead of flour and grain with chalk and sawdust, which... You know, at the very least, would taste a bit of wooden uh, alum or aluminum, which was added to about half of all bread, inhibited digestion, which was good because you felt more full after eating only a little bit, but also you weren't really getting any nutrition from things. There's nothing to be absorbed, and you had a lower calorie content. Uh, strychnine instead of hops, we already talked about. Lead chromate would be put into mustard to make it more yellow. Sulfate of iron would be put in tea tea and beer. Venetian lead, which had its own unique color, would be added to chocolates. Uh, You you see how just a casual walk down the market could kill you. You know, lead was used in everything from wine to cider. There are famous poisoning cases that do involve people slipping strychnine or lead or arsenic into someone's diet 
very gradually. And it sounds like nothing was safe, right? Even milk was contaminated with either excessive water or chalk just to make it look whiter. To some degree, was there like naivety of it at that time? Did people understand that lead was dangerous or? People wouldn't even understand that lead was being put in their food. It was up to your local mayor or governor to regulate what companies could do. And, you know, companies would look to make a profit and say, well, we could use two cups of flour to make this, but if we really just need volume, We'll use one cup of flour and a half a cup of chalk, which is still white, but will make up the volume to give us our daily bread. Here, here for science, I mean, you know, this was a government-funded scientific study, and if we didn't have that funding, if we didn't have a motivated and uh, well-educated scientist, th this study would not be done. I mean, this would not be funded by a study like this would not be funded by the 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 dairy company or the the bakery that's using lead and alum. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly not. You know, it's it's tough to trust these uh, big groups to regulate themselves because they just want to turn a profit. So using his government grant, Wiley bought food, hired a cook, uh, and he brought on the first 12 members of what he called the hygiene or table trials and what the group themselves named and what the group named themselves the poison squad so this took place in 1902 and these students as you mentioned pras got free room and board and three meals a day the catch which as we learned from the poem is that all three of those meals would be poisoned so the 12 of them took oaths pledging one year of service, promising to only eat food prepared in the Poison Squad's kitchen, and waiving their right to sue the government for any damages, including death, that might result from their participation in the program. This is one hell of a graduate study. Yeah, that's a hell of a disclaimer. Think back to your college days. Would you have seriously considered this? How many of you read the agreement before you update iTunes? Well, you know, even if you took a Tylenol, I mean, the, the you know, the horrible potential complications are, you know, bad. But Even, like, the iTunes people, they can't say, like, there there's limits to what they can do and say is protected in a contract, but it doesn't sound like they had any such limits over here. It sounds like literally anything goes. They could essentially kill you and get away with it. This was still a science experiment, so each participant ingested both common and untested food preservatives, and then everything was marked down and observed. Their weight, their temperature, their pulse were recorded before and after a meal, stool and urine samples were obtained, any case of sickness, nausea, or any symptoms were recorded. Now, this was all men, even though I'm sure there are women who would have participated. Uh, Dr. Wiley, for all the many wonderful things that he did, was also a rampant misogynist, which I mention only because uh, he will experience a Grinch-like change of heart later on in life. The very first additive that he tested was borax, and... He hired a chef who, interestingly enough, Perry was before working at Purdue University in this chemistry lab with Dr. Wiley. He was formerly cooked to the Queen of Bavaria. So, Ward, you want to tell us about the very first meal, the, the borax trials? Our good chef Perry put borax in, in just about everything. See, so a teaspoon of uh, borax in the butter... And um, he mixed in in their milk on, on a Christmas menu. Um, this was a this was a Christmas menu published in the Poison Squad's kitchen. For starters, we have 
applesauce with a hint of borax. Soup with a hint of borax. Turkey, <laughs> paste mm. it with borax. Canned string beans, borax. Sweet potatoes, white potatoes, turnips, borax. So every, chipped beef, borax. Cream, gravy, borax. Cranberry sauce, borax. Celery, pickles, rice pudding, milk, bread and butter, borax. And then you top <laughs> it off with a little bit of coffee and tea and a little bit of borax. So this is not your common episode of Chopped, <laughs> I'm guessing. No, I, and you didn't have the option of saying, uh, I'll have the applesauce hold the borax. The reason borax is one of the first ones tested, it was one of also one of the most common food preservatives in 1902. As a bright white mineral, finely ground, and rubbed on meat, it tightened up animal proteins, which would give them the impression of freshness. It was like a facelift on old meat. So a lot of meat packers often used it to doctor decomposing or rancid lamb, chicken, and beef. It would make it look younger and fresher. And this borax was shipped in from the burning wastes of Death Valley. So if the E. coli didn't kill you, the borax would. Interestingly enough, Proz, the borax was lethal enough to the bacteria that it was not uh, infection that people were mostly worried about. It's probably one of the lesser toxic additives, you know, relatively, right? Do you ever see borax poisoning ward in the ER? The years I've been practicing, no. I have not seen a, a case of borax poisoning. On the other hand, I also, uh, my hospitals, the hospitals I've been working at, have not been in locations where there are a lot of chemical plants or, um, you know, processing plants. So borax nowadays is used in roach-killing products. So whenever you see, like, a raid... Uh, that's where you see boric acid. Symptoms, I believe, include blue-green vomit. It's one of the only things I remember. It also will tear up your esophagus and, like any acid, really. So this is no different than, I guess, swallowing bleach wart? Oh, yeah, that would be similar. You can also get blisters. You could, uh, in the later stages, get drowsy, uh, fever and low blood pressure. As with all intoxications and all toxic substances, the end is usually convulsion and death. It is a toxic one, but it's not fatal from one dose. And you can tell that because the first team of the Poison Squad went from October 1902 to July 1903 eating it with every single meal. But eventually the men said, listen, we are tired of the metallic taste, the convulsions, the diarrhea. We want something new. Well, one of the next targets they had was copper sulfate, which is especially disturbing. At the time, it was used by food producers to turn canned peas and other vegetables a bright shade of green, once again lending them that freshness, uh, or at least the appearance of freshness. Ward Pros, do either of you know where copper sulfate is primarily used today? Pennies. No, I, I don't. What is it used for? It is used as one of the major pesticides, uh, fungicide, herbicide, and pesticide in agriculture on non-organic farms. Oh, that's right. Actually, yeah, they use them on grapes to to fight off the mildew. And they also make the grapes appear, well, a brighter green. Again, after 1 to 12 grams of copper sulfate, you get that same metallic taste in the mouth, and then you'll start to get a burning pain in the chest and abdomen, intense nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, shock, liver or kidney failure that can lead to yellowing of the skin, 
damage to nerve and body tissues. The, and again, the one way you can recognize it, although these gentlemen already knew, is that the diarrhea and vomit will have a bluish-green color. And imagine if you went down to your local Five and Dime, Walmart, Target, Aldi, whatever. Every time you opened up a can and you saw like, oh, look at these peas or this broccoli or these vegetables are so bright and green. I know I must have been getting good ones. And then you go home and uh, all that bright green is coming right back out of you as you poison yourself. Doesn't sound very fun. So Suicide Squad is probably not a misnomer in this case, even though they called themselves the Poison Squad. Copper is a heavy metal and heavy metals tend to accumulate in our liver, kidneys, and neural tissues. As a result, too much copper accumulation can cause liver damage, uh, kidney damage, and nerve damage. And in fact, there is a hereditary disease called Wilson's disease where your body can't properly get rid of extra copper in our bodies. That's not because of copper poisoning. It's because you can't even deal with the normal amount of copper in your body. And patients slowly start to, you know, get abdominal pain, liver failure, and in the later stages, jaundice, yellowing of the skin, and ascites, basically a liver cirrhosis. So what can you do if you do get copper poisoning today? Copper poisoning is rare, but I believe there is a chelating agent. I remember learning about this during one of our many studies, um, study sessions when we were 10 years ago for step one. Penicillamine, yeah. So a chelating agent is an agent that binds to copper and just pulls it out of your gastrointestinal tract and uh, pulls it out of your system. But heavy metals deposited in our neuro neurons and neuro tissue, as well as liver and kidney tissues, take a really, really long time to leave your body. There's not a easy. It's not like in your bloodstream where it circulates quickly. It it it, it, it when it's in your when it, when it's in your solid organs, they don't come out so easily. Not unlike lead. And so it's pretty safe to say that the damage is irreversible once it happens, right? It, Some of it is, yeah especially the neuro- neurological damages. Yeah. What are some of the other heavy metals that you could end up being poisoned with? Well, that is probably the most common one. Uh, but even iron, iron in excessive amounts can cause both a chronic overdose as well as an acute overdose. And in an acute overdose situation, po- uh, iron poisoning is really, really dangerous. And the classic story is, you know, if mom was taking prenatal vitamins or uh, mom was... Uh, or grandpa or grandma has taken iron supplements for anemia, and a little kid who didn't somehow came upon those iron supplements just grabbed them and put them in his mouth. Well, that can cause an acute metabolic acidosis. You can actually go on to seizures, coma, can actually die. And chronic overdoses can cause liver issues because they do get deposited in the liver um, and uh, can cause pancreas issues. Is that the same thing as hemochromatosis? Similar to chromatosis. Essentially, chromatosis is uh, an overload of iron. Most of the heavy metals, like copper, chromium, iron, manganese, zinc, all of them are essential to the body in very, very small amounts. But once you start building them up, either through pills or in this case, poisons, that's when you know the concentrations can shift from helpful to deadly, and it doesn't really take a lot. You know, we've been saying only two, three grams of some of these is enough to really start causing toxic effects. Common heavy metals are arsenic, mercury, lead, and cadmium. Today, that's cadmium, not Cadbury. <laughs> So arsenic is used mostly in the manufacture of pesticides. In Victorian times, it was used as the preferred method of poisoning because it was colorless, odorless, 
Uh, there was even a test developed, the Marsh test, to look for it, which we can devote another mini-sode to at some other time. Ward, have, have you ever seen arsenic poisoning? Uh, no, but we did learn about that in our toxicology uh, tr uh, training in emergency medicine. You know, arsenic poisons your respiratory uh, drive, or uh, the cellular respiration, and our, how our cells use oxygen. It makes it look like a very natural cause of death for back in the day. Aside from the demyelination of nerves, you have a flu-like illness and gastrointestinal symptoms that's mostly characterized by vomiting, abdominal pain, fever, and diarrhea, breakdown of hemoglobin, so you get anemic, you have low blood pressure, and the only hint is you may have a garlic-like odor detectable on the breath after eating it, but you are right, it accumulates everywhere. Cadmium is used mostly on electroplating batteries. Uh, it's used in some soldering irons too, but it, that's another respiratory one, I believe. It's You get progressive loss of lung function and a, a buildup of fluid in the lungs, so pulmonary edema and emphysema, as well as yellowing of the teeth, increased salivation, and a loss of the sense of smell. And remember, these gentlemen were eating just the one, just the borax, for a full year. Uh, now... That caused a lot of stomach aches, lots of appetite, some renal failure, and headaches. Next, they did formaldehyde, and formaldehyde was often used in dairy products, strained the kidneys, and made test subjects sick. Now, nowadays, we use formaldehyde to preserve dead bodies. I don't think I've ever seen anybody in with formaldehyde poisoning, although I imagine if we were to see someone, it would be an alcoholic. For that matter, since... We were exposed to a lot of formaldehyde during our early years of training. We inhaled it. Is there, standing next do you think there might have been a safety issue there? Like those brave um, <laughs> poison squad men. To be fair, formaldehyde, we were very limited in the times that we were directly exposed. Although we did have hours that we could go to the anatomy lab throughout the night. And I know we were always wearing gloves. So... There's not a lot of risk from just the vapors. Right. For our listeners, Praz is referring to the fact that when we took anatomy courses in medical school, we spent the, the, a good semester in a basement lab with preserved bodies, bodies preserved in formaldehyde. And the smell of formaldehyde was horrendous. And we, uh, yes. we probably were exposed to, to, to some uh, vaporized formaldehyde for quite a few months. But we didn't drink right. it. Well, I, I didn't drink it. Well, nobody did because that's where it gets fatal. Uh, vapor contact, it is absorbed very easily by the lungs, but mostly causes things like headache, irritation, or dryness. Or strangely enough, in about half of people who are exposed, hunger. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever remember leaving the anatomy lab and being starving, whereas other people would leave and say, you know, I'm not going to eat again for a week. But it was there was never a middle ground. It was always one of the extremes. Oh, yes, I remember that feeling. Nauseous, nauseous guy. Even ingesting as little as one ounce, you know, a shot glass's worth of a solution with only 30% formaldehyde can cause death through corrosion of the GI tract. Oh, and it's seen in methanol drinkers. That's what it is. People who drink, is it antifreeze ward? Is that methanol? Uh, no, antifreeze is a, a sort of formaldehyde, but it's not formaldehyde. Antifreeze is a... That's not uncommon. A lot of alcoholics, indigent alcoholics, end up drinking antifreeze in, instead of alcohol because it's easier to obtain. And that is... Well, actually, early 
early engine coolant antifreeze was methanol, but nowadays it's mostly ethylene glycol. It has that sweet taste so you can recognize it, but equally toxic. We've digressed a little, but the act of these healthy men essentially eating poisoned food on purpose turns them from the suicide squad into heroes. And to top it all off, they dressed in formal wear. These guys walked into that lab every day to eat poison, dressed in full-on tuxedos, evening jackets, bow ties. They were served by a scientist in glasses with a clipboard and always left the table a little bit hungry. This sounds like you know the kind of hipster restaurant you would find in in Echo Park, LA, or Wicker Park, Chicago, or I don't know where in San, anywhere in San Francisco. Ward the entire city of San Francisco. <laughs> they even had their own motto: "Only the brave dare eat the fair." They had their own little theme song or poem that was written for them. And you know, I think I'd like to hear from Masterpiece Sandman again. So, Praz, you want to uh, to read "Only the brave dare eat the fair" song of the Poison Squad. In my wonderful Shakespearean voice. <laughs> so, on prussic acid, we bear our fasts. We lunch on a morphine stew. We dine with a matched consomme. Drink carbolic acid brew. Corrosive sublimate tones us up like lanatum ketchup rare, while tyrotoxicon condiments are wholesome in the air. Thus all the deadlies we double dare to put us beneath the sod. We're death immunes and we're proud as proud. Hurrah for the Pison Squad. Yes, oh, Pison. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I think the guy who wrote it, S.W. Oh, gosh, what was his name? S.W. Gillian. 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 <laughs> was uh, German. Yeah, these guys ate meat and drinks with increasing amounts of suspected poisons because we only know that, you know, two grams is a toxic dose that will start causing them because of gentlemen like this. And journalists would breathlessly report on trials of these young men of perfect physique and health. And in case you don't believe that, I will include in the show notes a link to one of the old newspapers uh, proclaiming their heroism. And all of a sudden, shockingly, learning what sort of things these guys were putting themselves through for science, consumers began to grow concerned about the safety of what they'd been eating. Housewives were walking to market looking at the loaf of bread and going, I wonder if this is the same thing the Poison Squad members are having. If we were going to be casting the Poison Squad in place of the Suicide Squad, tell me how, how a typical Poison Squad dinner would have gone down. I see an ensemble cast, and uh, being Hollywood the way it is, you know, it'll be uh, how many? How many members were there um, in the uh, Poison Squad? Twenty. The Suicide uh, Squad. Twelve. Were? There were twelve original men in the Poison Squad. So I see maybe ten. Your classic, healthy, good-looking men. You know, uh, <laughs> we'll get uh, we'll get you know that guy who plays Superman. Maybe uh, Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy. And we'll make it multiracial, so we'll add seal. And, <laughs> nice. And there's got to be one person who's kind of, one person who's kind of like he doesn't belong, like John Goodman or some, someone like that, just to make it interesting. And you know, oh, how about Will Ferrell? This- oh, I like it. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. So the additives they tested 
where borax, as we mentioned, ended after one year when the men went on strike, complaining it was too difficult to eat in the heat. And Wiley said, fine, you big babies, ended the experiment early, letting half the men stop eating borax and making the other half just eat smaller doses uh, through June. So another two or three months after they went on strike. The formaldehyde experiment uh, was ended after three or four months. Salicylic acid, which Ward, you could tell us a little bit about in a moment, ended after two months. And benzoate, which was commonly added to soda in the days as a preservative and to help it keep its color. The benzoate trial ended after 20 days because it was causing complete kidney failure, blood vessel damage, and unhealthy weight loss. So as a result of the poison squad, the government went sweeping through regulating things. They had gentlemen going into uh, local cities, formed their own poison squads, and these men and women would be responsible for going into the local soda shops or talking to the soda jerks, the candy shops, checking for things like benzoate in the soda or raiding bakeries to, you know, think of the untouchables if we're going to dramatize this. You know, bursting into a bakery and sifting through the flour, being like, is this cocaine? Worse, chalk mixed with sawdust. Um, kicking down the back doors of ice cream parlors as kids run out screaming. I really want to see this film. I, I see the Will Ferrell character at the end of that one-year trial still sitting alone at the dinner table going, Hey, where's the borax? <laughs> Tastes fine to me. <laughs> Tastes fine to me. As the public's outrage against you know unregulated additives really started to pick up, it turns out the women's clubs were the biggest help. Alice Lakey from the General Federation of Women's Clubs began a letter-writing campaign in support of some sort of government oversight, federal government oversight, which ended up coming up with, between her and Dr. Wiley, the Pure Food and Drug Act, and that would stop companies from adding untested chemicals and filler to the meals of families. So she and Wiley both brought a ton of letters of support to President Roosevelt, and after only six years in existence, the Poison Squad managed to convince a President Roosevelt and Congress to pass the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act. I'm sorry, four years, 1902 to 1906. Uh, the Pure Food and Drug Act. And interestingly enough, remember how I told you Dr. Wiley was a rampant misogynist who wouldn't allow women into the poison squad because he felt they didn't have the constitutions and they were frail and fragile and ditzy creatures. Uh, ended up marrying Alice Lakey from the General Federation of Women's Clubs and supporting the women's suffrage movement. So as I said, this guy was around for a couple major, major acts and it is through him and her efforts as well as these 12 brave men that we even have an FDA today helping to regulate everything that goes into our bodies in terms of foods or drugs, but sadly not supplements. Oh, that was a, that would make a good movie. But you know what? As right. good of a as good of a um, scientific experiment that was, it was a better publicity stunt because they you know they they used what sounds like twelve to twenty uh, photogenic young men who people cared about back in the days. And did this experiment, oh, you know, we're going to get these people to eat poison every day for a year. And they actually got journalists on board and they got um, the women's club on board to do a letter writing campaign. And that's what 
that's what got the law passed. Well, the best part, though, Ward, is that originally all of this really irritated Wiley. He's like, I'm just a scientist trying to do my lab work. I mean, think about how irritated Santosh gets when we pull him away from his, his bench. And, you know, this is a guy, he's like, I just leave me in peace to do this. And then when he realized, oh, well, I guess having the journalists on my side would be helpful, that's when he's like, fine. He would then release transcripts of what they were eating and the lab results. But originally he was very hush-hush and playing these things close to the vest. And at the end, when the Pure Food and Drug Act was passed, there were so many opponents from various corporations and bakeries who wanted to prevent Wiley's passage of this law that even the Secretary of Agriculture, who was overseeing him, caused him to get fired from Purdue, tried to block his bill, and it required the president stepping in and shaking up the office, you know, firing several agricultural secretaries and other ones to allow Wiley to continue his work. So this is a real, you know, part Alexander Hamilton, part Bernie Sanders, there's poison, there's drama, there's love. Like, I don't know why this hasn't been made into the next. So Hollywood, take note. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. We have had our own versions of poison squads over the years as we've all eaten a few fairly adventurous things in our travels Uh, what would you say is your your best memory or your favorite memory of something that you would use as an audition for the poison squad oh uh (laughs) i'm trying to think um give me a minute why why don't we name yours first Uh, all the uh, crazy stuff we've eaten Josh, you're probably eating so, the craziest stuff out of all of us. Well, that's that's a possibility. So I'm going to read you guys, before I tell you my story, I'm going to tell you one or two of the letters that were sent by the men who were picked. Because the first 12 went after the Borax strike, Wiley recruited a new group. So, to whom it may concern, I read in the paper of your experiments on diet. I have a stomach that can stand anything. It will surprise you. I am afflicted with seven diseases, never went to a doctor for 15 years. They told me 15 years ago I could not live eight months. What do you think of it? My stomach can hold anything. I am up to the challenge. Yours truly, uh, name redacted. I would hire that guy. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's impressive. Oh, I I just thought of mine. When my dad took me on a trip to China... He had me visit one of one of the villages that supposedly my great 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 grandfather came from. They they served me the famous local dish, which was which was just a broth and a soup. And uh, I was like, okay, it's a soup. How, you know, doesn't sound too bad, right? So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a spoonful and uh, too big of a spoonful. And as as soon as I tasted, it, I was like, oh, I should have asked what what that was, which is a good idea uh in general in china before you eat something ask what it is um and, <laughs> and it was um that was a donkey part soup and it it specifically donkey parts because they wouldn't tell us what donkey parts it's not a donkey it's not like donkey sirloin or donkey donkey um it's not a specific donkey part it's just they chopped up the donkey and put uh whatever they had into that soup I, I swallowed it and I, I kept it down, so I think I deserve <laughs> to be on the poison squad. Was there some like health benefit to it? Like, did they say if you eat this, you'll have like good chi or whatever? 
Have you... No, it's it's not the tiger penis situation. Oh. It's, um, <laughs> it's just that, that 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 village was poor, I think. So whatever they had. So not if you eat this, you'll have super strength. If you eat this, you'll have dinner. We'll get to live another night. I see. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Ward had donkey part soup. Uh, my audition also took place in China, I believe, at the night market. Donghuamen. Wang Fujing Market, Dong Huamen Wang Fujing Market, near the East Gate of the Forbidden City. So I went there when I was studying traditional Chinese medicine with the thought of, you know, I was going to have my own iron stomach, work my way up and down the stalls and eat every exotic thing that I saw. And there were a lot of things. There were starfish, which were deep fried sparrows which were seasoned and deep fried on the rot- or which were seasoned rotisseried and deep fried seahorses which were surprise surprise deep fried the recipe book was very limited but the ingredients were uh, quite varied and the most surprising and delicious thing i ate at the night market was baby scorpion And I found them to be crispy in texture, not overly oily, and to have a flavor reminiscent of those Asian shrimp chips. Oh. Oh. To the point that I would absolutely eat little bags of scorpions if they handed them out. Those things were great. I know, I kind of want some. Right? Uh, On the other hand, the most disgusting thing I have ever eaten in China or in my life to date was millipede and it was curled up almost into it looked like a the world's most disgusting fruit roll-up they pulled it out of the hot oil dipped it in some sort of seasoning that may have been to the best i can tell asphalt and then gave it to you where it was a cross between trying to slither around from the oil in your mouth or crunching at just the wrong moment from whatever seasoning had been put on it. I did manage to keep it down, but even the local the local Chinese people around were like, you know, we feel bad, and this is something we do to tourists on a regular basis to make a living, but you just look like you're suffering. If you ever make it, make it to Wang Fujing Market, don't have the millipede, do try the scorpion, and that is my audition for the Poison Squad. What about you, Praz? What... What's your Poison Squad audition? Well, I don't think I've ever had anything that crazy. Granted, disclaimer, I've never been to China, so my craziest experiences are probably relatively tame. But I've definitely had some things that were a little bit outside the box. I remember eating guinea pig in South America, which was interesting. Have you guys ever had before? First thing, it was a little bit different than what I expected. Um... They actually serve you the guinea pig whole, and like when they serve it out to you, it's like all like it's got like it's all like special seasoning on it, but it's literally like sitting out there, arms open, head back, kind of like it's like sunbathing almost, you know, like it's just sitting there <laughs> relaxing the in the heat, enjoying it. It really looks doesn't look like a very painful sort of death, although I could be wrong, but it tastes actually quite pleasant. It tastes um, very similar to chicken, um, I think. Um, so that was one thing. I mean, it looked a little bit odd, but I su- found it surprisingly enjoyable. Yeah. Um, the other one that I had, I went to the Philippines. My wife is Filipino, and so we've gone back a few times. 
the southern island of Boracay, beach resort area, and um, somewhere as we were touring the islands, uh, we had the option of eating what was called adobong ahas, or um, barbecue-style mountain snake. I didn't really enjoy very much. Not because of the taste. I thought the taste was actually pretty decent, like pretty edible. But what I didn't like about it is that it was like barely any meat and mostly bone. Like I could eat through like half the snake and I'd still be hungry. So um, it's not that I wouldn't eat it again, but it just wasn't very satisfying, if that makes sense. Have you ever had the pleasure of eating balut? I have not. I have um, seen it being sold on the street corners from time to time. What is balut? Although I've not eaten it yet. Someday. So balut, basically, um, it's something that's generated a lot of controversy. Not, not, not so much in the Philippines, because um, pretty much anything goes when you leave the U.S., uh, especially in, anywhere in Southeast Asia. It's, a, it's an egg, a duck egg, except it's been fertilized. And so they take this fertilized duck egg with a partially developed uh, duck embryo in it, they remove it from the duck, and then they cook it and salt it um, and serve it to you. But still partially in the egg. It's like the world's worst Cadbury egg. Yes, like it actually has like mini like embryo feathers and mini beak and stuff like that. Crispy and gooey and crunchy and savory in all the wrong ways. Like it just... Have you had one? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I have. Well, of course I, ha- of course I had it. Obviously. Given the opportunity, how could I not? For me, food is binary. It's either good or it isn't. Was it good? <laughs> it was. It was something. I wonder who came up with the idea to just go ahead. Oh, this stinks. Let's eat it. But you know what, gentlemen? The the balut, the durian, the centipede, the um, the uh, donkey parts, and everything that we've talked about so far, they're probably not bad for you. <laughs> they they probably got nothing on that. Um, they probably got nothing on that IPA made with strychnine. Yeah, I think, and and we've come full circle there, where some things we may find disgusting, but they are not actively poisoning us. And you know that's why really the best thing you can do, folks, is thank the FDA. Read the labels on the packages. The pesticides, by and large, are kept out of our foods and out of our bodies thanks to the tireless efforts of the FDA, who sadly nowadays is lacking a poison squad for the last hundred years. I think we should bring it back. That ends this week's episode. Of course, we should close out with a Just the Tip. And Ward, since you have been traveling the most recently, as we have not seen you for a while, where have you been? What can you recommend? I took a vacation in um, uh, the lovely state of South Carolina. I got to see South Carolina and Charleston uh, from a native's perspective. Uh, A gem that I found in South Carolina was the South Carolina uh, tea plantation. Did you know that uh, this is one of the only, this is the only uh, tea plantation in North America? I think we used to have more, but now the only working farm that 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 actively produces tea leaves is in south carolina and it's about uh 15 to 20 minutes from downtown charleston and if you go to the tea plantation you will be treated to a uh, free tasting of different types of tea sweet tea iced tea 
different flavors of tea, and you get to walk amongst the tea leaves. They plant them in rows in the middle of, of a field, where on the other side there's a lovely tea garden where you can sit and enjoy your tea. Well, that sounds fantastic, and no wonder you have been in such a good mood this week. I like my caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) Time. That wraps it up for this week's Poison Squad episode. Look it up. It is a fascinating history. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings, and we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me, (laughs) me help. With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories, thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.